Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Today we're going to be talking with Dr. Lee Ebslin. He's got decades of experience in the medical profession, and he also wrote a recent book, Breakfast at Monsanto's. And we're going to talk a little bit about what are some of the effects of some of the potential substances that might be in our environment And how does that affect the body and the body's overall health? So thank you for joining me today, Dr. Lee Evslin. Thank you for having me on your show. Now, you've had a long career in medicine that spans decades. How many years were you in practice here in the islands? I came to Kauai. We came to Kauai, my family, two small children, and my wife and I in 1979 and have been there ever since. And for a while, you were running the medical group over there as well. Is that right? Yes. I had some years as CEO of the medical group, 15, and some years as CEO of the hospital, deeply involved in electronic medical records. And later, later in my career, got interested in, in pesticides and the issues of brown pesticides and health. So tell me a little bit about that. What made you get interested in the idea of pesticides? And after having a long career in medicine, Did you look back and say you might have seen some effects of pesticides in your practice over the years, maybe not even without knowing it? Um, Good question. And and the the last years of my practice, after I finished being administrator, I spent four more years in full-time practice, and I I was so struck by how more unhealthy Americans seemed than they had seemed in prior years. Kids, I'm a board-certified pediatrician, but I also did wellness of all ages. The kids, uh, more issues with weight, more issues, much more issues with behavioral disorders than I had seen before. And the adults, you know, the statistics for American adults is one in two American adults has a chronic disease at this point. And we've had dramatic increases. I was noticing it, but I began to look at the statistics and dramatic increases in autoimmune diseases. Uh, Harvard recently reported that 14 cancers have dramatically increased in people under the age of 50, which is, uh, you know, extremely significant. Increases in bowel diseases, increases in uh, liver disease. So I was seeing more unhealthy people, and that was kind of striking me as interesting. But what drew me into the pesticide issue is in 2012, the American Academy of Pediatrics published a policy statement that went around the world. The American Academy of Pediatrics is the is the dominant force, basically, in pediatric care in America, but our, what they say goes around the world. And they said pediatricians need to pay a lot more attention to chronic low-level exposure to pesticides, which was a game-changer for us. We had all been taught what to do about somebody drinking a pesticide or getting inadvertently sprayed. But the idea that chronic low-level exposure could be dangerous and the list of things that they said could possibly come from lungs chronic low-level exposure was brain tumors, um, behavioral disorders, attention deficit disorders, autism, respiratory illnesses, and on and on. It was kind of an eye-opener for me. And right at that time, the island of Kauai had this unbelievably divisive issue about pesticide spraying on the west side. So us pediatricians, we became kind of mildly involved. We wrote testimony in favor of being careful about pesticides. Then there was a task force that was formed by the state, a state-sponsored task force that met for 14 months, 15 months, looking at the issues of pesticides on Kauai, and there were two physicians in that task force, and I was one of them. 
And then following that, I actually appeared on your show in 2017, I think it was, to talk about Propyrifos, which was one of the insecticides that we looked at on our task force. turned out it was extremely toxic, more toxic than the companies believed it was. And Hawaii became the first state in America to ban Propyrifos for agricultural use. And now, in 2000, by 2021, the entire United States had banned it and the European Union. So Hawaii can be proud of the fact that we were, we were the first, basically. So that drew me into this issue of pesticides. Following all that, I became very interested in glyphosate, which is not considered a toxic. It's an herbicide, but it's not considered toxic. It's in our food supply, essentially. I started to talk about it because it's patented as an antibiotic. And my wife said, stop talking about it and write a book. So I did. I wrote Breakfast at Monsanto's is Roundup in Our Food, Making Us Fatter, Sicker, and Sadder. And actually got to present the contents of it at the UN, uh, their 2022 General Assembly Science Summit. They were interested in the topic and asked me to present some of the material. So that's a background. I hope that's not too long a background, but that's, that's what drew me into it. No, it's fascinating. Now, you mentioned that it kind of all started back in 2012 when the American Academy of Pediatrics highlighted that exposure to low levels of pesticides might actually explain some of the changes that you were seeing potentially in your pediatric practice. You were seeing some of these increases in behavioral issues and increases in unhealthy states for some of the pediatric patients that you were seeing. Now, the the American Academy of Pediatrics is a pretty... Uh, amazing organization. And as you said, what they say goes around the world. How long had they been looking at the data and what sort of findings did they have that sort of spearheaded this entire issue where it's now become something? And when they said you were supposed to keep an eye out for it, what exactly do you think that meant? So they were kind of specific. They said that pediatricians should start asking their patients um, about pesticide usage around the house that they should pass on this message that even low-level chronic pesticide usage can be dangerous, Um, that if there were community efforts looking at pesticide usage that we might play a role, be more active than we tend to be as pediatricians. And so all of that happened. I began to talk about it in my practice, which I had never really done. And I, um, there was this issue on Kauai where there was counter demonstrations and demonstrations between red shirts and blue shirts around pesticides. And the pediatricians, to some degree, we were kind of mildly spoke on the issue and we wrote a joint paper that uh, we should be concerned about it, even low-level exposures. And what was uh, the community response? Data, they, they went back years, actually, looking at the incidence of uh, different kind of brain tumors and behavioral disorders and the science around it. And there is there's extensive science now. Chlorpyrifos, the one we that we talked about on your show, they had very... Um, clearly done studies showing increase in chlorpyrifos exposure to pregnant women, straight line increase in um, brain disorders in their children, meaning decreased uh, uh, developmental delays in terms of intelligence and changes on their MRIs and their brains. It was pretty dramatic. But um, they went kind of pesticide by pesticide talking about the potential issues and the data that had been collected about it. And it was heavily referenced and um, you know, as I said, was kind of spread around the world, this new way of looking at things. So from that initial recommendation to really look 
at what's going on and the, the exposure. When you, when you talked about it with some of your parents, what was their reception to that information? Did they feel as you though know, this kind of resonated with them? With some, um, with some, certainly. And I, it was interesting. After I started looking at it, we, I had several patients. One was a four-month-old who came in barely breathing, and it turned out there had been heavy spraying in the house before that, and they went to Capulani and were there for days and never could actually prove what actually caused the problem, but it, it led me to even realize how poor we were at even knowing what somebody was exposed to. We have difficulty getting levels of these chemicals in, in people's blood. We have poor ways of monitoring it, which is what the American County Pediatrics talked about, too, that we don't. We need to develop more sophisticated tools to be able to prove when somebody's been uh, hurt in some fashion by a by a by an environmental chemical, but a pesticide specifically in this case. All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to the Body Show. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about why the types of pesticides that might be in our common household products may actually be something we all need to take a look at and what to do when it's a chemical exposure that might actually be in our food. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Welcome back. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and today I have Dr. Lee Evslin on the line. He is the author of Breakfast at Monsanto's and was actually asked to be a speaker at the U.N. Science Assembly in 2022 to help educate the public and the general worldwide community about some of the dangers of some of the things that might be in our food supply. Now, right before the break, we were talking, Dr. Evslin, about the issue about exposures to different types of pesticides that might be around the home. And back in 2017, we had this whole discussion on clopyrifos. And you mentioned Hawaii was the first state to actually ban the use of that. What product would it have been in? Was there a common product that people were using that had it in there? No. Uh, that product, is well, at that point anyway, was only a restricted-use pesticide. It was heavily used on the west side of the island in the chemical seed farms on in that area. So areas that are doing extensive farming with modern technology, meaning they're, they're non-organic using um, pesticides, they were using chlorpyrifos. And here in Hawaii, they use it particularly because it was an, they use it more because it was an insecticide and we have insect issues. Um, but uh, it had been banned for household use since around 2000. Prior to that, it had actually been in household use also. Wow. So, okay. So we banned it in Hawaii, and then it, by 2021, the entire U.S. started to ban it. And that also got you interested in another type of exposure that people should be concerned about. Tell me a little bit about what your current ingredient is that you've kept your eyes out for and are concerned about. Okay. So the current ingredient is glyphosate. And glyphosate is the active ingredient in Roundup and Roundup-like herbicides. There are many of them now, so we call them glyphosate-based herbicides. Turns out that Roundup is also patented as an antibiotic. It was patented in 2010, and it's not a restricted-use pesticide. It's, you can buy it freely in Home Depot. You can use it um, according to the label. 
but it's also heavily used in our food, and that happened in the late 80s and 90s, and it's kind of a fascinating story. It was commercialized as an herbicide in 1974. Because it's a very powerful herbicide, it wasn't basically used on food crops. It was used around fields. In the late 80s, early 90s, Monsanto came up with the idea that you could dry crops out before you harvest them, like wheat crops and oat crops and rice, making the harvest easier by actually spraying them with Roundup right before harvesting or a week or so before harvesting, letting them die off, and then you would harvest a much drier product and you would actually have control about when you were going to harvest it. So it began to get into our wheat and our oats and rice and other substances. In the 1990s, Monsanto came up with a really ingenious idea. They found a genetic trait in a soil bacteria that was resistant to Roundup. They took this resistant to Roundup genetic trait and genetically modified corn, soy, canola, and cotton. So they became resistant to Roundup, meaning you could spray Roundup on them and it didn't kill them. So they had this kind of miraculous way to change farming. You could have fields of corn, fields of soy, spray them several times during their their growth cycle, and they would kill the weeds around them. You'd have these completely weed-free fields, and it would not kill those crops. But what it meant is that glyphosate got added to our food chain. So from the mid-'90s on, our food became very different than it had ever been in human history. It became liberally coated with a substance that was also patented as an antibiotic. And what fascinated me about this, one is it changed our food, and it is now the most heavily sprayed herbicide in the history of the world. I think they've uh, millions and billions of tons have been sprayed um, since it was uh, put out there for to be sprayed on crops um, since 1974, but particularly since the 1990s. Um, so the companies that make it have said that it is safe because. Hundreds of studies have shown its safety. And two, it, this glyphosate affects something called the shikimate pathway, which is found in plants and not found in animal cells. Found in plant cells, not found in animal cells. And these were to be very reassuring that it was safe, and it's why it has stayed a non-restricted pesticide and why they allow it so freely in our food. Here's the problem. One, um, a couple of things. One is we've become much less healthy since the 1990s and the last 30 years. A study was done in 2015 that looked at the correlation between the increase in spraying of glyphosate-based products and ill health. They found 18 health conditions that increased dramatically and right in step with the increase in glyphosate. The curves just lay right on top of each other. Well, all scientists know just because two things occur at the same time, it doesn't mean one causes the other. But if, if the correlations are tight and there is some evidence of reasons for causation, you begin to look at it more closely. So it's interesting to look at the reasons that these companies felt this was so safe and stop me at any point. But the hundreds of studies that they referenced were mostly done decades ago, more than 30 years ago. Most of those original studies were paid for by Monsanto. They were never published, never peer-reviewed, and they are you can't read them. You can't review them. They're held privately. And two, uh, the shikimate pathway that they talk about is not found in animal cells. It is found in plant cells. But it turns out it's in the bacteria that live in and on our body. 
And it turns out that the bacteria that live in and on our body are unbelievably important for our health. There are approximately 100 trillion bacteria in and on our body, and we have approximately 30, this one adult, 37 trillion human cells. So we are actually more bacteria than we are human cells. And those bacteria, they are unbelievably important in terms of uh, the survival of, of the host. You can't be healthy, actually, with an unhealthy microbiome. That's the term for those, for those bacteria. They produce vitamins. They digest foods. They hold the cells closely together in the intestinal lining. They produce chemicals that affect our mood. Um, they, they're being associated more and more with things like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's disease. The knowledge about this microbiome is exploding. Thousands of studies coming out in the last few years, and most of them in the last five years. And then each year, there's more and more studies. So we have a substance that does affect that pathway, and there are more and more studies coming out showing how exactly how it does affect that pathway in our bacteria, and we have allowed it into our food system, essentially. And in terms of the studies, where the hundreds of, they, hundreds of studies that they talk about which showed safety, there are now hundreds and hundreds of studies that show toxicity not done by these companies, most of them done by independent laboratories, universities, if you, I took a sampling of one year just out of curiosity of studies. There were 270 studies looking at toxicity of glyphosate, and the vast majority of those studies showed toxicity, not not lack of toxicity. So the studies basically show toxicity, and the pathway is alarming that they affect in bacteria. Wow, that seems to explain quite a bit about why we need to be so concerned about our microbiome. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Dr. Lee Absalon about where is the microbiome in our body, and if we are affecting it by some of the exposures, what can we do now to help reverse that? We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have Dr. Lee Absalon on the line, and he is the author of a book, Breakfast at Monsanto's. And up until now, we've been talking about why there are certain types of pesticides and chemicals that might we might have been exposed to in our foods. And although they may not affect human cells, well, they may actually affect something possibly even more important, which is the microbiome. Now, right before the break, Dr. Absalon, you were talking a little bit about why the microbiome is important. But for people who might not understand exactly where all these bacteria cells live, where are the most common locations in the body where we have the microbiome? Where are we talking about? So our skin and our intestinal tract are probably the most heavily populated. And they basically, they kind of link hands and help our immune system by having bacteria that are good for us. We help keep away bacteria that are harmful to us. And they live in ratios, balanced ratios. It's like a society having certain numbers of people that do this kind of work and that kind of work. Well, these bacteria do the same thing. And the more diverse and the healthier the ratio, the healthier the host or the person is. 
And when we talk about microbiome, we have microbiomes. All animals have microbiomes, but we, we're surrounded by microbiomes. The soil has a microbiome. The ocean has a microbiome. And it turns out glyphosate affects all those microbiomes. It affects the microbiomes in the soil. It affects the microbiomes in our body. It affects microbiomes in the ocean. Um, so potentially concerning, for sure, that it's having this dramatic effect. Now, if people may not have heard the concept of microbiome, but there's another very related term when we hear about people saying they want to take probiotics. How, how is probiotics related to the microbiome? Um, that's a good question, a really good question, and it's kind of a new science. What we've learned is there are certain bacteria that seem to be healthier for us, so we, a science has evolved around taking them in capsule form or or fermented food forms so that we're augmenting the better bacteria for our body. And there is science behind them. One of the problems with probiotics is they're not that well regulated, and the science is kind of just beginning what happens when we actually take them in. Um, but that is a way to try to rebalance your micro. And the reason that people get re interested in rebalancing, when we take an antibiotic that your doctor gives you, it also affects the microbiome. And it's why we learned to try to be so careful about not overusing antibiotics because we don't want to affect microbiomes. And more and more of the studies are showing this substance, glyphosate, which is patented as an antibiotic, does affect microbiomes. It changes the ratio. Some of our, some of our better bacteria, the ones that seem to be better for us, are more affected by glyphosate, and some of the more pathologic bacteria that aren't as good for us seem to be less sensitive to glyphosate, so they flourish. And it's really fascinating. Um, this, the substances that are produced by our microbiome are amazingly important for how we function. They have tremendous effect on mood. They have given glyphosate in studies to rats, for example, and found them to become more depressed and more anxious. And the science is evolving very rapidly that shows substances come out of the microbiome that affect our mood. May, we have the incidence of anxiety in America has also skyrocketed. And America among developed nations, I think in 2018, it was, was second most depressed of the developed nations in the world. Depression is skyrocketing in America. Anxiety is skyrocketing. And, you know, a very valid question is, is something that we have in our bodies most of the time, most of us, making this playing a role in this, is it, and there's certainly lots of reasons for depression and anxiety, but is this exacerbating it because we're changing these chemicals that come out? So, one last thing is kind of autoimmune diseases. There's, people talk about leaky guts where the cells of the gut lining aren't as tightly joined together and can create autoimmune diseases or may play a role in inflammation. And one of the substances produced by the bacteria in our intestines is a chemical that makes those junctions tighter, makes the cells um, able to be a stronger barrier. But one of the effects of taking antibiotics, and glyphosate in particular, has been shown to change, to make it so that we have less of the substance that makes those cell junctions tighter. So given everything that you've explained so far, what can we do about it? Uh, another great question, and that's one is I think our regulatory agencies have to look closer at this. And uh, two other just quick points on things being found. 
the WHO, an agency of the WHO, had said that uh, glyphosate was a probable carcinogen. This has been debated around the world. But Bayer just recently settled somewhere between 10 and $11 billion settlement against uh, with 100,000 people who allege that their exposure to glyphosate had caused their cancers. And the EPA just announced in 2021, that glyphosate was likely to adversely affect greater than 1,600 endangered uh, plants and animals. So there's plenty of evidence out there um, that's increasingly suggesting that this is not such a safe substance to have uh, such a big part of our food supply. Anyway, the, the easiest, it's interesting, but there have been some very good studies showing that if one goes to an organic diet, uh, that pesticide levels in your bloodstream go down within a week. And there are many pesticides in our bloodstream. Glyphosate happens to just be one of them, but pesticides are... And um, a glyphosate is an herbicide, and herbicides are a type of pesticide. So if you want to decrease those types of chemicals in your bloodstream, an organic diet certainly can help you. Organic diets can be more expensive, like... Costco is making it easier and easier to have organic diets, but they certainly can be more expensive. In addition, one should know that almost all ultra-processed foods, processed foods, all the stuff in the middle of the store, like cereals and chips, um, pizzas, things that don't look like original food anymore, in America, they're almost all made with GMO corn or soy and or canola. All, virtually all GMO corn, soy, and canola is has Roundup in it because it's a Roundup-resistant, uh, genetically modified crop. So most ultra-processed foods in America are going to be containing Roundup. And if you want to avoid Roundup, again, try to eat real foods. Some fruits and others are also sprayed with Roundup, like apples, orchards that are non-organic. Uh, how much actually gets into the fruit, it's a little harder to tell. Um, so bottom line is eating organic will make a big difference in how much exposure you have to glyphosate. And I I think we need our regulatory agencies too and our scientists to take a harder and harder look at this. Is that is that part of the message you delivered when the UN Science Assembly was was yes. asking you to speak? Um, I, you know, our, our regu- we rely on our regulatory agencies, and this, the material that I'm presenting, these are conclusions that many scientists are reaching around the world, but they need more input. They need input from regulatory agencies that have large number of scientists. They need more scientific studies. It's one thing to say that there are all these associations uh, it takes rigorous science to do more and more of the proving, and it's important for it to be done. I think as an individual, I made the decision and hopefully made it for my family that the evidence is strong enough that I can do something about it, which is kind of vote with my, my food dollar. Um, but I, it's very important that our regulatory agencies play a bigger role in this, and that's what's happening. Uh, Europe is having a huge debate about whether to continue the use of glyphosate I'm not even they. I'm not even sure if they've continued it after this year. It's being debated ferociously, and the court system in America said the EPA needed to come back and look at this again um, with a more thorough eye. And so that's being done more in America also. 
Well, it certainly sounds like there's a lot of attention being placed on to this topic. If people want to hear more and they possibly want to read the book that you have recently published, where could they find it? Oh, it's available. Most online publishers have it, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and so on. So it's called Breakfast at Monsanto's. And, it's, and again, I'm making the same point I'm making here. Uh, these are all arguments, essentially, for why we should be concerned. And arguments why we may want to consider going to the farmer's markets, eating more organic foods and eating whole foods like you talked about. I definitely want to thank you for sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show. That's Dr. Lee Evslin, and he is the author of Breakfast at Monsanto's. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week when we talk more about health topics right here on The Body Show. We'll see you then.